All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Glad you're here. Glad you're with us today. Uh, I want to start out this morning with a uh, story. Uh, I shared this once before, like two years ago, but it's I love the story. I love the image of it. And so I just want you to picture this in your mind. It's from a, a guy, pastor uh, out on the West Coast. His name is Erwin McManus. And he says this, true story. He says, for several years, we rented a two-story house in L.A. Both my kids have spent a good part of their growing up years in that home. He said a unique feature of this particular house was that there was a small window uh, in the second-story bathroom that opened a path up to the roof. I always figured that one day when one of my kids would sort of climb up on the sink and work his or her way out to the ledge and up onto the roof. It just seemed like one of those things I would have done when I was a kid. Early one evening, Kim, his wife, and I were out in the front yard when all of a sudden he heard a little voice calling from the roof. As soon as Kim saw him, her nurturing instinct kicked in and she started commanding him to get back inside. He said, I have to admit, I was kind of proud of him at that point. <laughs> but what, what he did next totally surprised me. Looking past his mom, he looked right at me and said, Dad, can I jump? <laughs> when Aaron shouted, Dad, can I jump? Kim answered on my behalf, No, you can't jump. Now you get back in the house, right? As if he hadn't heard anything at all, he, he looked at me and said again, Dad, can I jump? Now he says, Now I know what you're supposed to do. A dad is never supposed to go around what the mom says. He's like, I'm just telling you what happened. After all, he did ask me, he says. Yeah, go ahead, I answered. He said, really? And I said, yeah, sure, go ahead and jump. Kim looked at, at me as if I were out of my mind. She said, what are you doing? It's sort of an explanation. I asked Aaron, I said, Aaron, are you going to jump at some point? And he said, yeah, I think so. And I said, well, okay, I'd rather have you jump now so that if you jump and break your legs, I can take you to the hospital. He said, it made perfect sense to me. He responded, dad, do you think I'll make it? And I said, oh, yeah, if there's one thing I know for sure, you will make it to the ground. In what condition, I don't know, but, yeah, you'll definitely make it. He said, okay, I'm going to jump. He said, I, I have one final suggestion before he took off. He said, uh, hey, buddy, try to clear the concrete and land on the grass. It's softer. And he said, oh, yeah, good idea, Dad. And so he kind of backed up against, you know, to get a running start. He backed up, and uh, just before he took off, he, he yelled one last request, catch me, Dad. And he said, he, with that, he ran forward, jumped off the roof, heading right for him. And he said, I, I put my arms out. And he said, I almost caught him. He said it was so close. <laughs> he's like, he kind of hit the fingertips. And maybe I slowed his descent a little bit. He said, eh, he's, he's healed up now. No, I mean, he was fine. It was not, not that big a deal. He closes by saying this. He says, you know, I look back at that moment and you might think you should not be a parent. <laughs> it could be true. He says, but what was going through my mind right then is that there's going to come another day when a big step of faith is going to be facing him and he's going to have to decide whether to climb back in the window and play it safe or whether to take, take that big giant leap of faith. He says, I see so many people that grew up in some kind of a church background and they walk away because it's just so incredibly boring and mundane. And I wanted Aaron to know that just like his father had called him to jump in the same kind of way his heavenly father, God, if he would learn to listen to his voice, is going to call him to such an extraordinary life that he'll have to take a deep breath, feel the fear in his gut, and learn to jump anyway. 
I don't know why, but for far too long, I think this, the picture that we've had in our minds of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a Christ follower, and what it means to live a life of faith, we've tended to, to make in our minds something associated with a safe and easy and comfortable and predictable life. But that's anything but true. In fact, as you read through the pages of God's book, you see exactly the opposite, that a life of boldness and courage and risk-taking type faith is what seems to characterize the life of a God follower. I mean, think about some of the stories throughout Scripture with me for a second. I mean, people like Gideon from the Old Testament, was his life easy and safe and comfortable? He stands before an enormous army, and God sends home, uh, or God tells him actually to send home 22,000 of his soldiers at one time. After that, he sends another almost 10,000 more men home, leaving him with an army of just 300 to face an opposing army of thousands. And God's like, You got this. It's going to be great, right? I'm going to show up. I'm going to do a work. It'll be plenty. But man, does that sound safe and comfortable for you? Does that seem like he was in his comfort zone in that moment? You think there was a lump in his throat, perhaps? <laughs> Gulp. An army of 300 to face thousands. Or think about Elijah on top of Mount Carmel. The people of Israel had been led astray by some false prophets worshiping a God named Baal in that day. And so Elijah, led by God, calls the whole country together and says, let's have a showdown of sorts. We'll have these false prophets build an altar and do a sacrifice. I'll come over here and I'll, I'll offer a sacrifice to God. And then we'll pray. And whichever God sends fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice, that's the real God. And the other, ones should, the other prophets should be killed. I mean, can you imagine? Like, good prompting from God, right? So Elijah sort of does this. The other prophets go first. He ends up even taunting them. Why don't you, why don't you pray louder? Maybe your God can't hear you, you know, kind of thing. I mean, there's this whole deal. But then it's his turn. How would you feel? Like, God, I don't know if that was you, but if it, if it wasn't, can you sort of get on board with the program? <laughs> because gulp. I mean, can you imagine? Is that a bold step? Of, does that sound comfortable for you? If God doesn't come through, you're dead not comfortable at all, an amazing sort of boldness that seems to characterize him. Or think about Abraham, uh, kind of the father of, of Israel in the Old Testament. God calls to Abraham and says, you know what, here's the deal. I'm going to have you, you pack up, you and your family, you're going to leave home, you're going to leave everything you've ever known. I'm going to take you to someplace new, but I'm not going to tell you where you're going ahead of time. I'm not going to give you a roadmap. I'm not even going to necessarily give you assurances of all, all the comforts that you have of home. Just pack up and go, and I'll tell you where you're going on the way. Does that sound safe, comfortable? Not at all. I mean, can you imagine having to go home and explain that to your wife? <laughs> right? Well, it's like this. We're going to pack everything up, and, and we're going to move. God's taking us to someplace new. Great. Where are we going? Well, I... I don't really know, you know, kind of thing. Like, oh my gosh, huge step of faith. Or David and Goliath, right? I mean, think about that small boy with a few stones and a sling. Or think about Paul, right? The good news, Paul, is you're gonna, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to bring the gospel to Caesar, sort of the king of the known world at that time. It's gonna be amazing. You're gonna have this great opportunity to share your faith. The bad news is you're gonna go there as a prisoner and it may cost you your life. Sound comfortable? Sound safe? Sound predictable? 
Or think about uh, Philip, right? Uh, guy's on a journey one day. God says, hey, go up to this chariot that's up in front of you. Strike up a conversation with somebody you've never met and tell them about me. <laughs> tell them about Jesus. And he does it. Amazing stories. Or Paul and Silas who are in prison for talking about their faith and then God busts them out. Sound boring? Sound predictable? Sound safe? I mean, Jesus consistently modeled but also taught his followers that a life of faith is going to require sacrifice. It's going to take them outside of their comfort zone. He would do this with his followers again and again and again. It was crazy. I mean, sometimes he'd, he'd uh, for instance, on one instance, he, he took his followers, he, he gathered a crowd, and he was teaching, and thousands and thousands and thousands of people showed up, at least 5,000 men that we know. And then Jesus turns to his followers and says, man, the people are hungry. You give them something to eat. <laughs> and his followers are like, um, a little preparation would have been nice. I don't have money enough. We don't, how in the world could we do that? It's crazy. Or another time, uh, right? There's a storm going on. Jesus is walking on water, and he calls Peter to jump out of the boat. He says, Peter, jump out of the boat and walk to me on the water. <laughs> and he does it, right? But, but it would be easy to say, man, uh, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> I'm not sure how to do that. Or he takes some, some of his new disciples early on, and he sends them out. He says, I'll tell you what. Uh, I'm going to send you out to proclaim the good news to people, heal the sick, drive out demons. Don't take any don't take any money with you or food because I will provide for you on the journey. So you got no credit cards, no cash, no anything, and God's called you out on this journey, and he's going to provide for you, and then he tells you to cast out demons and to heal the sick. You've never done that before. You have no idea how to do that. Sounds safe and comfortable, or does it sound like maybe boldness and a risk and a faith is required? Now, God used each of the people that we're talking about here to change the world, to impact their families, to impact their communities, even their countries and the world, to transform, to transform the world around them. But that didn't happen by taking the path of least resist, resistance. It didn't come from playing it safe or making it all about them. I don't think there's a single page that you could find in this book, for instance, that would lead you to believe that following Christ, that following God's plan for you is going to be safe and comfy and cozy and that kind of stuff. This is not that kind of sissy kind of Christianity. This is Christianity uh, for bold men and women of faith. Jesus says to his followers, he says, come and follow me. Come and follow me on an adventure like you can't even imagine. It'll be incredible. It'll change your life. You'll get to see and know my power and my presence in amazing ways. But it will involve risk. It will involve you stepping out of your comfort zone. It will require you learning to trust me in ways that you couldn't have imagined possible before. But for those that come, that follow me, that take the step, you might want to buckle up because you're going to be in for quite a ride. Proverbs 28, 1 says this. says, the wicked flee, though no one pursues them. It's basically a picture saying, uh, the wicked are consumed by fear. They're, they're stopped dead in their tracks from fear, but the righteous are as bold as lions. The truth be told, friends, God has great plans for you and me in your marriage, in your family, in your work situations, at school. He has great plans for us as a church, Ignite. And I'm excited to see what God has in store for each one of us as we move forward together. But you and I will never experience the life that God has for us by playing it safe. 
by taking it easy and coasting and choosing the path of least resistance. This is not following Jesus. He will call you out. He will require you to change and to step out and to trust him. He'll ask you to follow him by faith, to take some bold risks and to trust him for the results. God's not really interested in keeping you and I safe and comfy. Instead, he wants to show you his power and his glory and his sufficiency and his plans for you and for me. And if we'll step out and follow him, we'll be in for the ride of our lives. Today, we're launching a new series here at Ignite called Bold. And it's a series that's all about this sort of living out bold faith in Christ in the real world. It's going to be a great series. I'm hoping you uh, will be here for every week of it because we're going to kind of progress through a bunch of different areas. I think it'll be great. Today, I just want to do kind of an intro message talking about living with bold faith in a fearful world because this stuff is countercultural. Few people really live out their faith like this, but bold faith is what God calls you and I, every one of us to. If you've got your Bibles, you can open them up to Joshua uh, chapter 3 and the first couple verses in, in 4. If you've got the Ignite Church app, you can find it under notes in there. You can follow along in here. And that changed my font. That's really interesting. <laughs> so sorry about that if that's uh, hard to read. Uh, it, when I created it, it was actually just fine. <laughs> so sorry about that. Might want to follow along on the app. We're going to start out uh, in Joshua chapter 3. Just to give you a little bit of context here, uh, 40 years earlier, before this moment, the people of Israel had been living as slaves in Egypt, and God freed them miraculously, right? We talked about this a little bit last week. Freedom from Pharaoh led them through the Red Sea uh, and out into the desert. And God promised to take these people into the promised land, into a good and fertile land that he had promised to them. Instead of trusting and following the Lord, though, the people get scared because they hear reports that there are giants living in the land, that the, that the foes are many and they are great and they are powerful and the people get all fearful and they say, you know what, God, we're not going to follow your plans. We're, we want to choose the safe and comfy route. And so instead they choose the, the path that takes them for laps around the desert for 40 years. So they've been waiting until basically a whole new generation is raised up and has an opportunity to follow and to trust God, to live out sort of a bold faith. And so God calls again and he takes them uh, to the edge of the Jordan River and he's ready to, to have them cross over into the promised land. It's like take two, right? Take two. This is going to happen again and so uh, Moses has been the leader up until this point. Well, Moses dies and so Joshua, this young leader, is sort of put in this position and uh, that's kind of where we're going we're gonna to pick things up from there. But the, we're going to kind of walk through this passage today. There's some great stuff in here that talks about living out a bold faith and what that looks like for our lives. So good stuff. Stick with me. We'll kind of walk through and learn some lessons as we go about how God leads his people into the promised land. Joshua 3, starting with verse 1, says this. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out um, from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your position and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a safe distance of about 2,000 cubits between the Ark and you. Do not go near it, Joshua told the people. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you kind of the first step that I want to just look at right there is, is that word follow it, which really he's talking about means follow me. This is all commanded by God and then reiterated by the people. 
So let's talk just a little bit first about the Ark of the Covenant because that's, that's sort of the whole representation here. That's, it says the Ark is going to go ahead, ahead of you, and when you see the Ark, follow it. But the Ark, uh, despite what you may see, may have seen or think about, despite the Indiana Jones pictures that come to mind or you think relic or something like that, the Ark is really a symbol of the presence of the living God. It was quite literally a graphic symbol in foreshadowing of Jesus. It was a reminder of his presence, a reminder of his power and his mercy. And so this is important. When it's time to move forward into the battle, to step out in faith, to move in the direction of the promised land, they don't just take off and run into battle thinking, I got this. No, instead they put God first. And God says, here's here's a visible symbol of my presence. When you see it, you are to follow me, he's saying. God has good plans in store for them. He has good plans in store for us. But here's where it begins. Follow me, God says. You're not strong enough. You're not smart enough. You're not big enough to fight the giants in this life on your own. You're not wise enough to get to the promised land on your own. So instead, God says, follow me. Follow my plans for you. Follow, uh, follow, learn to follow me. Learn to do life with me. And I'll take you there. The only way to get to the promised land, the only way to get to the life that God has for you and has for me is by following Christ, is by following him. If you and I were to take an honest look at our life, I wonder what, if, this would, if our lives would be characterized by a real sense of following him or if we're just kind of going our own way. I wonder if our lives are characterized by a passion to follow him, to follow his words and his plans and his spirit in our own lives. Or if the truth be told, we're just relying on our own strength, our own wisdom, maybe even common sense, whatever makes sense to us in that kind of sense are following me. If so, man, this is the starting point for everything we're gonna be talking about throughout this series. If you don't get this part, this follow me part, nothing else we're going to do makes sense. Nothing else we're going to talk about makes sense. This is the foundational part for the life that God has for you, for the promised land that God has for you. He says, follow Jesus, follow me. If you've never done that before, or if you find, if if you're truthful and honest with yourself, if you're saying, you know what, I think my life is more characterized by my desires and my plans and following my own gut or following my own path or my own career or my own whatever, if our lives are more characterized by that, I would encourage you strongly today to just in your heart sort of bow your head and open your heart and just say, Jesus, would you come and and teach me to follow you? Forgive me for going my own way. I need you you, Jesus. This is the foundation. This is the good stuff, right? This is where it all begins. God says, follow me. Let's keep going. Verse six, Joshua said to the priests, he says, take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. And so they took it up and they went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I'll begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the, of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. All right, so this is where we start to get to the stuff we're talking about today, right? Because after God says, follow me, right, the next command is always, would you trust me? Would you, would you, would you, it takes faith. This is where the faith risk element comes into that we've been talking about. Go, go stand in the river, he says. Go jump in. Take a step of faith and trust me, God says. 
We'll come back to that because it's even a bigger step of faith than you think. Verse 9, Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you'll know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and will stand up in a heap. Now, to understand the significance of kind of what's going on here, we have to talk a bit about the River Jordan. The river, the, the, the Jordan River was symbolically in Israel kind of a barrier. It, it's what stood between the people of God who were on one side and the life, the sort of good land, the land they describe as the land flowing with milk and honey that was on the other, right? It's a good and fertile land. It's their home. It's something they, they sort of have to get across in order to live the new life that God had for them. And so the, the, the Jordan River actually starts up on a mountain, on a mountain called Mount Hermon, and it comes down to the Sea of Galilee and eventually keeps flowing to the Dead Sea. Mount Hermon, where it starts, has an elevation of about 7,000 feet above sea level, and the Dead Sea is actually the lowest body of water on Earth. It's more than 1,290 feet below sea level. And so it, the river drops 8,000 plus feet in a fairly short period of time. So you can imagine the waters kind of keep moving, right? I mean, it, it's, it's sort of a rapids that's flowing. Now, you might imagine that... Uh, it, that might make the, the Jordan very difficult to cross, and it's true, but uh, most of the time it wasn't that big a deal. The Jordan isn't really that big a river, even smaller now because uh, the government uses it for irrigation. It was a little bit bigger back in Joshua's day, but for the most part, not really difficult to, to cross. There were many places where you could ford the river. It'd be maybe three to six feet deep. Not that big a deal. Now, there were no bridges, but you could kind of walk across it in a number of places. But here's where it starts to get a little more interesting. Verse 15 says this. It says, now the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. <laughs> now, this is where it starts to get really interesting. Because right now, as the people are about ready to cross the Jordan, where God's calling them to jump into the river, it's at flood stage, which means there's no way to get across this. There's no bridge, there's no jet skis, there's no power boats, there's no way you can ford it, there's just no way. They've come all this way, and here's the promised land, just a number of feet on the other side of them, but there's this rushing water that's separating them. And the people probably began to wonder, what in the world has Joshua done? Maybe the people begin to wonder, what in the world has God done? Here we are, we're trapped. There's no way for us to get to where God's calling us to go. But God says, you know what? I'm going to make a way. I'm going to allow you. I'm going to make a way for you to cross the Jordan River. But here's the thing. I'm going to want you to step into the river first. I'm going to want you to take a step of faith and then watch what I do. I will make a way. Now, this is not like going down here to the, uh, to, to the river where you, when you step into the, to the water, the first step might be, you know, up to your ankle, maybe up to your knees or something like that. I mean, it, the river is at flood stage, which means it's 10 to 20 feet deep on the first step, and it's moving very, very, very quickly. Now, imagine there's, I've got some pictures because we kind of understand flooding around here a little bit, don't we? I mean, we've seen, we've seen the river flood a lot recently, right? And it, and it gets crazy. Now, the water's moving, but oftentimes it's not moving that quickly. But imagine, imagine combining 
the flooding that we see here on the river with, go to the next one, with a rapids coming down a mountain, right? Some sort of a combination between the two. That's sort of the picture. And God says, I want you to step into, into this and trust me, I'm going to cut off the water when you do. How would you respond to that? How would you respond to that? I mean, imagine if you're one of the priests, maybe the first, the first row of priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant, which, by the way, weighs about 300 pounds, a little less than 300 pounds. They're carrying this thing. Can you imagine being that first one? And they say, okay, now go ahead and just step into the river. And the, the rushing rapids, are, go ahead, take, the, take that first step. I can imagine if I were in that front row to say, you know, I, I was first last week. You know, maybe somebody else wants to kind of do a rotation kind of thing here. Maybe you want to step out and be the first one. Maybe I'll kind of just watch and cheer you on. I'll be the supervisor from up here, right? I'll have my clipboard and say, okay, you're doing great, you know, kind of thing. Check, check. Come on, you don't think you'd be a little intimidated by that? You don't think you might want to maybe take a step back to? I can imagine. I think if I was the lead guy, I'd try to, I'd be really intimidated. It'd be scary. It would be fearful. And I would be tempted not to do it. I think so often fear is actually the thing that keeps us from the promised land in our lives. Fear so often is what keeps us from doing what we know we ought to do. It keeps us from taking those steps of faith, those steps with God that he asks us to take in our lives. It's what keeps us from moving forward in our walk, in our relationship with God. Fear is what kept the people of Israel doing laps around the desert for 40 years. Fear keeps us from the good life that God has for us. And so God calls us, even in the midst of our fear, he calls us to take steps of faith. And he says, will you trust me? Will you, trust, will you trust that my way is best? Will you trust that I'm strong and powerful enough to rescue you from this current situation? Will you trust in my will and my plans and my strength and my goodness to you? Or will fear win the day? Will you trust me? God calls us to boldness, to a bold kind of faith and says, will you trust me? Now, boldness is not the absence of fear, is it? Bold faith is not the absence of fear. It's trusting God anyway, even in the midst of fear and choosing to trust him and follow him in spite of our fear. Here's kind of the definition that I, I uh, kind of put up there. Boldness is our willingness to follow God and do the right thing at the right time, regardless of the barriers or the fears that we may encounter. Here's the lesson that's sort of going on in this story. God is teaching his people a huge lesson. I mean, Israel faced a massive obstacle, a challenge. The Jordan, it's the barrier that separates them from the life that God has for them. And God's power is plenty big enough. He's a big enough God. He's strong enough to, to, to open up the river to make a way for them to get across. God will deliver them. God will make a way, but they have to face their fears and take the first step. They would not see God's power. They would not... Uh, they would not see his strength until they have faced their fears and taken that first step. Then they would see God's display of his faithfulness, of his power as they took that step of faith. God says, I want you to take one step into the Jordan and then you'll see me, see me at work. He's teaching his people about trust. 
And you know, God does this consistently in our, loves, in our lives too. First he says, follow me. That's always the starting point. But it's almost as soon as he does that, he starts saying, man, let me speak to you about this area in your life. Let me, let me, let me talk to you about, uh, about something. He starts nudging us and he starts saying, will you trust me? Will you trust me with your job? Will you trust me with your relationships? Will you trust me with your finances? Will you trust me with whatever? Will you trust me? And he requires us to take a step. Man, I feel like our family has uh, had a lot of this in the last few years, just a lot of different areas where God has continually called us out of our comfort zone, continually asked us to trust him. I mean, just uh, maybe three and a half years ago, uh, about this time of year, actually, uh, we, were, uh, we were pastoring a church that we had started some almost 14 years before, and life was going really good. We had a solid, stable income. Our kids were surrounded by friends. Our family had l- friends that we'd been doing ministry and life with for 14 years. It was pretty great. I had leaders and people in our lives that we loved, dearly loved. And God started calling us and saying, you know what? It's time. I'm going to ask you to leave that. I'm going to ask you to raise a whole truckload of money and step out into something that's completely uncertain. I'm going to ask you to plant a church again. And he kept saying, will you trust me? (laughs) And I have to say, everything in me (laughs) was saying, yeah, but what if, right? What if it doesn't work? What if we can't raise the money? What if, uh, you know, God doesn't put together the, the, the church? What if we fail? What if this? What if that? What if the other thing? And God kept saying, will you trust me? Will you follow me? And will you trust me? I got this, right? And so so one step at a time, we've had to to choose and say, man, I'm fearful. (laughs) This is not safe. This is not easy. This is not comfortable in my gut. And yet God keeps calling us to take a step and to trust him and to follow him. And we've gotten to see his work again and again and again. We've got to see and know his provision in miraculous and amazing ways. We've gotten to see even... Uh, here at Ignite, we've gotten to see a church raised up and put together in just a couple short years. We've gotten to see dozens of people who have, whose lives have been transformed as they have, as they have come to faith in Christ. We've gotten to see the living God work, and we're just getting a taste of it now. He has so much more in store, but it's all, right, it, it's, that st- it's that, that relationship, those steps of faith that God keeps asking, will you trust me? Will you follow me? Will you trust me? Will you follow me? One step at a time. You know, I wonder how God might be challenging you or asking you to trust him in these days. Maybe you're in a marriage that is not going well and you've been sort of lulled into apathy, into just sort of coasting and not really investing, not really pouring into your family the way that you know you need to. And maybe God's saying, you know what? I know, it's, I know it's safe and comfy in your recliner watching the TV or looking at your phone or whatever, but maybe it's time to step up and start leading in your home. Maybe it's time to start investing in that relationship. Maybe it's time to start doing something, taking the step. He's saying, will you trust me? Will you trust me? Maybe it's a financial deal for you. And the truth be told, you are in way over your head. And God's been speaking to you and nudging you and and saying, you know what? Here's my plan for you. You need to spend less and give more. (laughs) And you're like, God, how is this ever going to work? We're not making it the way it is now. This is impossible. How? 
the, the, the river is too fast. It's too big. There's no stinking way. And God keeps saying, will you trust me? Maybe there's a relational deal that's going on and you have been wounded and hurt and man, you're just, you've kind of hardened up and closed off from some other people around you and God keeps nudging you and pushing you and saying, you need to forgive them. You need to release that. You need to, to seek reconciliation and restoration. And you're like, God, but you don't know the situation. They're bad. They've hurt me. They've hurt others again and again and again. And he's saying, you know what? Will you trust me? Maybe there's a particular area of your life, a, a sin or, or something that you've been hanging on to and you know God wants you to, to live a different way, but you're like, no, this is mine. I don't want you in here. And God keeps, God keeps nudging you and speaking to you and saying, render that to me. Would you open up that part of your life to me? Would you align your life with the plans I have for you? Will you trust me? Maybe it's something completely different. I don't know. But friends, this is, this is the path of faith. This is, the, this is what real Christ following looks like, right, in the real world. God, it says first, he says, come and follow me, Jesus. says, come and, come and let me show you and teach you about the life that I have for you. And along the way, he raises the water, the water table, right? So the river is rushing. And at different points on the journey, he says, take a step into the, into the river. It doesn't make sense. You don't know how I'm working. But take the step of faith. Trust me. And I'll tell you what, we can talk a good game and we can come to church and we could answer all the right questions about what following Jesus looks like on a, on a, on a little test. We could get 100% and be like, oh, aren't we all spiritual? But I'll tell you what, the way we live this out by faith, the way we take steps and follow God, even in the midst of fear, that, that shows what we really believe. That shows really where our trust is. Is it in ourselves, in our comfort, or are we really trusting God with our lives? It's the journey of faith. It's the journey to the promised land, I might add. It's the journey to the good stuff. But it does require risk. It does require stepping out in faith and trusting him. All right. I should keep going here. Uh, verses 15 and 16 says, Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the waters upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that's the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed opposite Jericho. So the priests actually take this step of faith. They step into the Jordan as soon as they do. In fact, uh, the waters have stopped flowing and it reaches them. The priests sort of yell, Geronimo, so to speak, and they jump in and they get to see the living God come through. They get to see his faithfulness. They get to see his power lived out that day. It's incredible. It would have been amazing to be a part of it. Now, here's something I want you to notice uh, I'll take just a minute to, to camp out on this because the water stopped flowing upstream, it said, at a town called Adam. Now, scholars estimate that uh, the town of Adam was about 19 miles upstream from where the people of Israel were, far out of uh, eyeshot, far beyond what they could see. And God was at work there, but they couldn't see it. And I just, I, I hear that and I think, man, 
How often is that the case in our lives? God is at work upstream, out of eyeshot, beyond what we can see. And you're standing there at the water's edge, right? And you're looking at, at this flood go by you, and you're thinking, there's no way. But we just don't know that upstream, God has already performed a miracle, He's, ar- he's already worked and is working beyond what we can see so that when we step out in faith, we get to see what he's already done. There's something just encouraging about that to me, and maybe there is to you too. I mean, sometimes when we can't see it or feel it, Sometimes when we're confused and hurting and disillusioned, God is at work upstream, whether we know it or not, whether we can see it or not. He may have already performed miracles, but we just don't see it yet. Maybe the work that he's doing is in you. Maybe he's teaching you to follow him and to know him and to reflect him to the world around you. Maybe he's working uh, to bring about beauty from ashes. He specializes in turnaround stories. He's a God that's work, working upstream from you and I. I think oftentimes, even when we can't see it, God is work at work out of the line of sight. The Israelites could only see the problems that were right in front of them, the raging river, and they could have concluded that God was not there, that God was absent, that he was not working, but they would have been dead wrong. He was working. He was just working upstream beyond what they could see or no. One more piece real quick and then we'll be done. Let's jump ahead to Joshua 4, verses 4 through 7. It says this, So Joshua called together the 12 men who had, uh, uh, men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and he said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of Israel to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan River was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial, a reminder to the people of Israel forever. Kind of the third thing in in this progression, right? First he says, follow me, right? And then he says, trust me. That's where the rubber meets the road. Will you trust me? Will you step into the river? Will you take that step of faith and trust me? And then when we see the living God show up and work, the third thing he says is, is share me, right? Would you, don't keep that kind of stuff to yourself, but let those around you know of God's amazing work in your midst. He says to the people uh, of Israel, these, these 12 leaders, uh, one of each, from each tribe, he says, go take a stone, build a monument, so to speak, so that when people pass by in the future, so that your kids will know, and their kids will know, and your neighbors will know, and your coworkers will know what the Lord your God has done in your midst. Some of us have seen God work in some miraculous ways in our lives, Seriously. Some of us have seen God work in ways that brought healing and experienced that. Some of us were in in, uh, marriages that had flatlined and God resurrected them. Some of us were in financial hurt so deep, we were in way over our heads and we thought there was no way out and God rescued us and provided for us in amazing ways. 
Maybe there's relationship stuff, and we've, we've experienced God's healing work. We've experienced the freedom that comes from saying, I forgive you, or I'm sorry. Who knows? Maybe you were addicted to something at one point, and God brought freedom to your soul and to your life. And if that's the case, friends, there are people around you that desperately need to know that there is a living God among us that is still working in lives, that's still transforming hearts and changing marriages and families and communities and nations. They need to know that there is a God that is still on the throne, that still has good plans for his people, that is still parting waters and taking people into the promised land even today. I don't know where you're at with God this morning. I'm not sure what he might be speaking to you. Maybe for you, maybe you're back on the front end and there's just some real business where God's been saying, would you follow me? Would you put me first? Would you, would you open up your heart and life to me and learn how to, do, learn how to live the life that I have for you? Would you, would, would you come and follow me? Would you open up this book and get to know me? Would you bow your knee and spend some time praying and get to know me and follow me? Maybe that's where you are. Maybe today before, before you go, you need to bow your head and just say, God, I, I want that. I want to follow you. I've tried life on my own, and it's not that great. Instead, I want to turn to you. I want to open my life to you. I'm going to ask you to come and forgive me, to come and lead me from this point forward, and teach me to follow. I am yours. Maybe that's, maybe that's your step today. Or maybe there's a particular area in your life that God's saying, it's good. You've been following, you've been learning, getting to know me, getting to know my plans for you, and now he's nudging a certain area in your life and saying, would you trust me? Would you put that into practice in your life? Would you open up that heart, your heart or that area of your life, and would you put it into practice? Would you do it? Would you act on it? Would you trust me? Whether that's a relationship thing, whether that's a sin area, right? Whether that's uh, maybe an area of ministry or serving, maybe God's nudging you and saying, man, I've got good plans for you. And you're like, I'm scared, man. I don't want to do, I don't know how, what I'm doing. And he's saying, would you trust me? Maybe there's somebody uh, uh, around you that desperately needs Christ is going through a tough time and God's nudging you saying, you know, I've put you there for a reason so that you can share with them about my good plans and you're like I don't want to be the freaky Jesus person and God's saying would you trust me and just watch how I work maybe there's there's a financial deal for you that you need to open up to and God's saying would you trust me I don't know maybe that's maybe for you whatever it is whatever that area is maybe God's nudging you today and saying would you trust me would you would you take action on that would you would you would you put that into practice this week or finally, maybe, maybe some of us have seen God's work in amazing ways, and maybe he's just, he's just nudging you and saying, would you share me? Now, I recognize that for some of us, that might feel like a, a stretch or a step of faith, but what do you think God would say to that? It might feel like it's out of our comfort zone. You think he might say, trust me, <laughs> right? Would you trust me? Would you trust me? That's the path of faith. It's the journey of bold faith, even in a fearful world. Would you follow me? Would you trust me? Would you share me? Let's close in prayer. Father, we love you. We need you, Lord. We thank you for the journey of faith that you have us on. 
And I thank you for your faithfulness and for your goodness, for your power. Thanks that you are such a big and a good God that no matter what's going on, no matter how big the giants are in the land or how uh, big the river is that is the barrier is that's separating us from what you're asking of us, that next step, thinks that you are bigger still, thinks that you are faithful and good to us, that you have good plans in store. And Lord, I pray that you would indeed lead us into the promised land, into the life that you have for us. Would you uh, open and soften our hearts to you, Lord, and teach us first to follow. Forgive us, God, for so often going our own ways, taking the easy route, being my own boss and seeking my own plans. Instead, God, we're gonna lay those down this morning and just pray uh, that you would come and lead us, be our God, be our Savior, and teach us to follow. And Lord, as well, would you build our faith, teach us to be courageous, bold men and women, that we would follow where you lead, that we would trust you with what you ask, that our lives would get aligned to the life that you have for us that our wills would get surrendered. Lord, I can't even imagine the plans you have in store for us as we follow you into the, to, into the promised land. Would you, would you build our faith? Would you teach us to, to trust you like that? And finally, God, give us opportunities this week to share ways that you have worked and shown yourself faithful in our lives over and over. We need you love you. Would you be glorified in us? Would your plans come to bear in our hearts? May your kingdom come and your will be done in us, we pray, Jesus.